I am Mark Gunger, pastor here at Celebration Church. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we are in Exodus, the 32nd chapter. And uh, what we do on our Wednesday night Bible studies, we go through the Bible verse by verse and uh, teach the whole thing in context. It's a great way to really learn what the Bible is teaching. Uh, I always feel whenever I'm on video to the Bayside group, I've got to explain why I'm not here. Everybody else is used to seeing me on video for you guys uh, Oh, a few times a year you have to see me on video, but uh, I am actually with Debbie tonight in Mexico, <laughs> Cancun, suffering for Jesus. I know, someone's got to do it. Anyway, uh, pray for us that we have a safe trip home uh, down there ministering, not ministering, actually I'm doing a corporate gig, speaking to a bunch of dentists. Hopefully I'll have a chance to minister, but uh, anyway, every once in a while we get a chance to do uh, corporate uh, things. People ask me sometimes, why do you, when you do the corporate things, is it so, so you can minister to them? Not really. I just go to take their money because they pay us a lot of money to do these corporate gigs. We do like three or four of them a year. They tend to pay very well. And hey, the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. So if they want to pay me a bunch of money to come down and smile for an hour, that's what I do, especially if it's in Cancun or Puerto Rico or anywhere else. But anyway... That's why I'm physically not here at the Bayside campus, and uh, we'll see you all next week. But continuing our Bible study, the good news is I don't have to be here physically to teach the Word of God, because the Word of God exceeds physical locations. In fact, that's what makes the Bible the Bible, is these guys don't actually have to be here. We can read what they had to say. So, we are in chapter 32. Now, this is, we were just left off last week, where the children of Israel, Moses had gone up into the mountain to... Get the Ten Commandments, okay? They didn't know what he was doing, but that's what he was doing. And he was up there for 40 days. Well, within 40 days, they're freaking out because Moses isn't here. Where's, you talk about freaking out because I'm gone for a week in Mexico or something. These people are falling apart because the pastor wasn't there. Moses, where's Moses? And in 40 days, these guys got so freaked out, they go to Aaron and say, Aaron, make us a god. We have to worship a god. And Aaron, that wiener, for crying out loud... He should have known better. He was Aaron. He was Moses' right-hand man. They talk him into it. So then he says, well, everybody give me, you know, all your gold earrings and stuff like that. And this is basically money that they had gotten from uh, uh, Egypt when they had left Egypt. They ransacked the place and took all the gold and stuff with them. So they had really just a plethora of riches. So all he asked for was just the gold earrings. There were so many gold earrings that he melted down all these gold earrings and made a calf. A golden calf made out of gold, a calf. I mean, how bizarre is this? And then they sat down and they started worshiping this stupid cow. So uh, we read it in verse five, verse uh, chapter 32, verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced uh, to the people, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. The Lord meaning the stupid cow. Okay? So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward they sat down to eat and to drink and got up to indulge in revelry. This is where they started partying and acting very disgustingly in front of this stupid cow, worshiping the cow. Well, So Moses is up there. He's talking to God. Okay, He's getting all... Uh, not just the Ten Commandments, but the first part of the Law of Moses. We just skipped over a whole bunch of it, you know. Laws about how to do this, and laws about how to do that, and how to handle this situation, and the covenant, and the priestly garments, and blah, blah, blah. You can read all this stuff. So he's getting all this information as God is revealing this to him. And uh, uh, actually, we read in the New Testament that some of this was actually uh, brought to him by angels and stuff. But whatever, he's having this dramatic 
experience with God for these 40 days. So, so we read in verse 7. Now, then the Lord says to Moses, here they're talking. All of a sudden he says, now go down because your people whom you have brought up out of Egypt. <laughs> I love the fact that they're all of a sudden his people have become corrupt. And they've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made for themselves an idol in the shape of a calf. And they've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I mean, how insulting is this? I mean, after everything God did for them, they gave the credit to a golden cow and said, this is the God that did all these miracles for us. You can imagine why God was pretty hacked off about it. And that's when he says here, he says, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, okay, and will make into you a great nation. So God wants to kill the whole lot of them. But then Moses, we talked about this last week as we're picking this up. Moses sought the favor and he prayed for them and said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom you swore. And there again, he starts quoting back God's own words to him. We've talked about how important that is in prayer. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give your descendants all this land I promised and it will be their inheritance forever. So then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. God wanted to wipe out the whole lot of them. If it had been me or most of you, we'd all just wiped them out. These people were incorrigible. They were off the charts. So anyway, he calms God down. Then Moses goes down. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Pretty impressive, okay? Uh, And again, we don't know, at least I, unless it shows, says somewhere else, exactly what's on the tablets. Traditionally, all we see are the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that were on these tablets. Well, it was probably a lot more than that because it was written on the front and on the back, both sides and stuff like that by the hand of God. I don't know, maybe it does say later it was just the Ten Commandments, but uh, I couldn't find that when I was looking for that earlier. All we know is that this was the writings that God had been speaking to him uh, from, from the mountain. So anyway, Joshua, who's his right-hand man, remember Joshua was kind of like his, his uh, uh, aide, if you will, who eventually becomes this great warrior that takes them into the promised land later. Well, when Joshua, he's with with Moses, and he heard the noise of the people shouting, he says to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. I mean, he immediately assumed that it was war and battle because he heard this great cry. Of course, this really uh, touched the heart of this young guy. He is a warrior by nature. He's a fighter, and uh, he just assumed right away that this was what was going on. And then Moses replied, this is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. So Moses is starting to get ticked. Okay, he's coming down. He's hearing this. No, no, it's not war. They are partying. Okay? So then it says in verse 19, When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing around the stupid cow, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Okay? So he is ticked off. Now remember... He just asked God to turn away his anger, lest God will destroy them all with a plague, or who knows how he would have killed them all. Uh, But now he's down, and now he's really ticked off. And then he says, and he took the calf that they had made, and burned it in the fire, and then he ground it to powder, 
and he scattered it on the water and <laughs> made them drink it. He was so ticked off. He comes down, he throws the towel, boom, and he must have been quite the imposing figure. I mean, I'm not quite sure how he pulls this off because the whole nation is in party mode. Even Aaron has bowed into this. But as soon as Moses show up, man, everybody freaks out and they scatter like cockroaches when you turn the lights on. And he gets down there and he takes that cow and he burns it and grinds it into powder, throws it on their drinking water and makes them all drink it. <laughs> you want a cow? Here, have cow in your water. So he, he made them drink it all. Then he said to Aaron, What? did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Seriously, I mean, what was Aaron thinking? Moses had to be so irritated. I was only gone, people, for 40 days, and Aaron and the whole lot of them had turned their back on God? Well, then Aaron said, Do not be angry, my lord. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, well, whoever has any gold gold jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me the gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out out came this calf. Really? Is that how it happened? He just, you know, they told me, they yelled and hollered, and I took the jewelry, and boom, out comes this cow. I don't think so. He had to take the thing and people had to make it into a calf. Anyway, he's basically backpedaling. It wasn't my fault. It was the people. They're the ones who do evil. They forced me into it. I'm surprised Moses didn't just throttle Aaron right on the spot. Anyway, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. So of all the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, we read all about uh, Jacob's sons. Now we have these descendants of Jacob's sons, and they all stayed. You know, there was Levi and Simeon and you know, all of them down the list there. Um, when, when, it, when Moses finally said, who's going to be on God's side? It was the Levites who stepped up. And went over to them. So the Levites were the smart ones. Where they said we're going to identify with God. And then this is what he says to the Levites. He says this is what the Lord the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side. And go back and forth through the camp. From one end to the other. Each killing his brother. And friend. And neighbor. Wow. Ho Chi Mama. In other words if you are going to be on the Lord's side. You're going to make a major statement. Strap on, go through there, and kill your neighbor, your brother, whatever. I mean, uh, uh, throughout the camp. Your neighbor, your friend, and your brother. Well, the Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day, about 3,000 of the people died. You say, well, that's horrible. What a terrible thing to do. Yeah, from our worldview, it's like, you know, good grief. You know, if we have problems in the church and people don't agree with me, we don't go through the congregation killing people. I mean, again, this is thousands of years ago in a a completely different mindset having said that 3,000 people did die at this moment but remember God wanted to kill the whole nation I mean just wipe them all off of them so this is a very small percentage of people that uh, paid the price for this sin and it made a major statement as to the loyalty of these Levites you know a lot of what happens in the Old Testament kind of a uh, we call them 
types and shadows of what was to come in, in the New Testament. The type and shadow here would be when Jesus looked at his disciples and said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he has to hate his brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, and you know, which seems very bizarre. Now, he didn't mean literally hate because he taught us not to hate. But the whole idea is compared to loving him, you know, you've got to be able to turn your back on stuff and make a clean break. If you're going to really follow God, just like these Levites had to actually physically act it out. So the type of that in the New Testament is that we have to do this in our hearts. You know, we need to make a break. And when you come to Christ, many of us have to make those decisions. You know, am I going to stay connected with people who don't want me to do the right things? I mean, anybody who gets saved has to do that. Everybody at some point uh, has to do that. I don't care if you're a young person in high school. I don't care if you're an old person that doesn't come to faith until you're in your 70s. I I don't care when it happens. But at some point, you have to make a decision. I'm going to serve God. I don't care who it separates me from or who it associates me with. And oftentimes, we have to cut off the uh, uh, relationships and the connections that we have with people in our lives that it's not good for us. Okay. Now again, we don't go out and kill them, but I mean, there's that there's that break. That's that separation where we say, "No, I'm sorry. I am going to do the right thing. I'm going to serve God with my life. I'm not going to let connections to people who don't love God dictate my life. I cut that off." And uh, and and we even know that uh, in Jesus' sense that um, when he talked about being a disciple, if that means you've got to break off from your family, that's what you got to do. It, does, it doesn't matter uh, whatever it is. You've got to make this dedication that I am going to serve God straight up. So anyway, back then, everything was literally acted out. And uh, they went through and uh, three, about 3,000 people died as these Levites went through, uh, proving their loyalty to Moses and to God. Then Moses said, you've been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you in this day. Now again, when you still read that, you think... How could that be? It's such a bizarre thing. But yet, you know, it's hard to answer all these questions because there's so many things in the Old Testament that were just kind of strange. You know, they did all kinds of things. We've been read, we read a lot of them when we were studying the book of Genesis. I mean, really bizarre things that these people would do, sometimes violent things that just seem harsh and mean and... And this is one of those things. I, you know, there's all kinds of, I'm sure, theologians that have great explanations for these things. I'm just reading it as I see it. And I look at it and go, wow. I mean, that was heavy. He basically said, if you're going to be on God's side, grab your sword, go kill these people that are close to you. As punishment, a small punishment on the nation for the sin of the whole nation. But it also proved their dedication uh, to God and their loyalty to Moses. Pretty wild stuff. Anyway. So the next day, Moses says to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves for themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Whoa! Now we're talking serious prayer serious intercession what happens at this point moses comes down he's furious he busts this thing up makes him drink it all it had to be totally gross gets these levites are the only ones who step forward go out kill these close friends of yours come back and then he goes and prays to god says god forgive them for this incredible sin and he basically says this to god if you won't forgive them 
then don't forgive me. If you won't, if you're going to blot them out of your book, we're talking the book of life. This is, Jesus said, whosoever name is not written in the book of life will not get into heaven. This is what happens when you come to Christ in faith and you put trust in him. The Bible says your name is actually written in God's book. You say, do you think it's actually a book? I actually do. And I think it's going to be read on that day. The Bible's very clear about it. The books are going to be opened and we're going to uh, hear what people have done. And whosoever's name is not written in the book of life, the Bible says, will be cast into the lake of fire, which is not a good thing. So you definitely want your name in the book of life. Okay. But here Moses is so identifying with these people in terms of intercessory prayer. He says to God, God, forgive them if you don't forgive them then don't forgive me because God said look I'll I'll kill them all and then I'll start over with you and what he's totally saying is no God I'm with them you talk about really connecting for the people even though he just had been really mean made him drink all this stuff and had about 3,000 people killed because of uh, his anger and stuff throughout the situation still his love was for the people as a whole and was willing to if need be uh, be cast into hell for eternity Uh, to be with them I mean that's amazing that he would pray such a prayer Uh, please forgive their sin but if not then blot me out of your book which you have written wow serious identification then the Lord replied uh, to Moses whoever has sinned against me I will blot out of my book now go lead the people to the place I spoke of and my angel will be go before you however when the time comes for me to punish I will punish them for their sin And then the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. So he goes in and he prays this big prayer. God, forgive them. And then God still says, they're going to pay the price. They're going to pay a price. Now the price originally was he was going to wipe them all out. But even though some had already paid the price, those 3,000, God was still so angry at them. Now you have to understand the insult these people did to God. And honestly, I don't think we get it. I don't really think people understand how offensive our sin is to him. You know, because we are sinful by nature. We're, we were born in sin, conceived in sin, we're raised in sin. Uh, we're pretty familiar with it. One of the biggest problems uh, that people have today is they don't get it. They don't get it that the things that they do, especially really blatant, mean sins, sexual sins, violent sins, sins of lying and cheating, these are so offensive to God. This will separate you from God, which is what I've taught. Uh, uh, you know, how this will hinder your prayers and, and, and keep you from being blessed by God. It's not that God's just a prude and, or I'm just yelling at people for the sake of yelling. This stuff will keep you away from God. You know, these people were so offensive to God when they came and they bow down to the stupid idol that they had made and gave that idol praise and thanks and this is the idol that brought us up out of Egypt this thing is what brought all those plagues on Egypt this thing is what split the sea and we walked across on dry ground I mean this is unbelievably insulting to almighty God whom they had experienced they saw his wonders they actually heard him with their own ears at the mountain speaking and still they were so offensive to God and uh, so Moses comes in, he prays, don't blot, you know, if you're going to do that, blot my name out, da 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 Well, God says, look, they're paying a price. And, and uh, he set a plague, uh, and undoubtedly a lot of people died because of this plague and this punishment that came. Um, though at, at, here it doesn't give us a number of how many people had, had uh, suffered in the plague. 
Well, then chapter 33, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and all the other ites that were hanging out there. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So, what he's basically saying is go on, go do this, uh, uh, you know, go out to this land, the, the promised land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go to the promised land. I'm going to send angels. I'm going to be with you. But I personally, because remember, God was like hanging right there with them. Okay? Remember, they heard the voice of God. Now, it was so freaky, they asked Moses, please don't ever do that again. We can't handle this because it freaked them out. I mean, God himself was talking. People sometimes say, how come God just doesn't speak? Because it would freak you out, man. God is God, and he's very intense. And, you know, you don't want all of a sudden God showing up in the flesh dealing with people. Nobody would be able to survive. So God was here. He was doing all these incredible things. And basically God says, look, you know, I am not going to go with you like he was with him at that moment. Because I'll kill you all, basically is what he says. You know, you guys are so stubborn. You are so rebellious. And there will be punishments for these sins. And people are going to die. And uh, so he was kind of stepping back from the people. Now, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. What are they doing? They're humbling themselves now. They're coming to God. They're repenting. They're taking all the pretty, uh, anything that looks nice, Takes all, takes everything off. In plain, uh, a lot of times in the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament, you would see them actually wearing sackcloth. It was basically like, like burlap bags and stuff like that, just out of humility and stuff before God. And they're crying and they're repenting and they're saying, "God, forgive us for what we've done." Okay, so they're literally crying out to God in forgiveness, which is a great thing. All right, when you repent, you need to be a man enough, woman enough to say, God, I'm sorry, I've sinned, I've done the wrong thing, please forgive me, so you can get right with God, okay, and move on. Sadly, with these knuckleheads, it never stops with them. I mean, they're crying now, but they keep pushing the envelope. They, they would irritate God and cause judgment, and then they'd cry out and repent, and then they'd irritate God, and they'd cry out and repent. And this pattern really pretty much goes through the bulk of the Old Testament. It's really quite appalling. Um, if, if you were to read the bulk of, of the stories of this nation, how they would disobey God, God would send judgment on them for their sins, and they would come crying and running to God and get right with God, and then they would do the same thing again. As soon as things got good, they'd turn their back on God and boom, God would send judgment. I mean, this was a cycle. It seemed like they just could never, ever break. Uh, and it's, it's quite amazing to watch. You see some of that uh, even in people today. You know, I mean, I saw on the news here in Green Bay not too, uh, I don't know, a week or two ago. And one of the things that they were saying is that church attendance seems to be up uh, markedly in the Green Bay area. Uh, 
you know, it's hard for us to tell because we're always pretty full anyway and, and growing. But even the other churches, even the most, you know, old line churches, Catholic churches, Lutheran, are all of a sudden they're filling up with people. And they're assuming that's because of the economy. The economy's bad, and then they run to God. And then they get right with God, and God blesses them, and then they forget about God. And then some stuff goes bad. And then it's like 9 11. We're all in church. After 9-11, I remember, you know, man, churches were packed out everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, the places were just jammed. And I thought, I remember thinking at the time, man, is, is this what it takes? It takes a horrible tragedy before people turn to God? Well, then as soon as everything's okay, then they forget about God. And then they put themselves in a situation where tragedy falls on them again. It's just... You know, man, we need to be faithful to God and serve God and have hearts that desire for God um, separate of that. I don't want to have to have disaster in my life to make me want to pray. I don't want to have to have disaster in my life before I'll do the right thing. Because I don't want disaster. Why go there? Strangely enough, there are people who... uh, they, they kind of live in this little mini cycle kind of like what these guys did you know they're fine and then they forget about God and then all of a sudden boom God's got to deal with them harshly which is a good thing the Bible says that when God disciplines you like that it proves that you're a child of God so it's a good thing it's a good sign when God smacks you upside the head but goodness gracious how about we quit doing things that cause God to smack us upside the head. I mean, why get into situations where you're bringing God's judgment into your life and punishment into your life? Let's be smarter than that. Let's get drawn to God without repeating those kinds of cycles. Anyway, so there you have it. Um, now Moses used, uh, used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp at some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses as he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of his own tent. Uh, uh, The the Lord would uh, speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So his aide actually stayed in the tent all the time. We don't know why, it just says, that's, that says what was happening. So, so here's what he's saying. He sets up this tent, and this is where he would go to pray. And the people would watch, all of a sudden, here comes Moses. He goes into the tent, and then this cloud, this glory of God, would come down in front of the tent. And Moses would pray in there, and he would talk to God face to face like someone would talk to his own friend. The glory of God, and all the people would watch it, and they would worship God from their tent. Of course, now they've repented, okay, they're in a good place now. They're repenting, and they're worshiping, and they're watching this. Again, these people, there wasn't a lot of faith involved in what they were doing. Do you know what I'm saying? It's probably why this stuff didn't take. I know sometimes people often wish that God would just do stuff that didn't require faith. You know, he would just show up and make stuff happen. I mean, at some level, we all kind of wish that. Don't you wish that, you know, just boom, God would just show up no matter where your, what your state of your heart was. But it doesn't help you in doing that. You know, you temporarily get what you want, but it doesn't really draw you closer to God. See, when these guys, it didn't take faith. They saw physically 
I mean, can you imagine if I came to the, you know, here comes Pastor Mark onto the platform, and as I stepped up to the platform, all of a sudden the incandescent glory of God would start shining around me in, in clouds and fire and stuff. Would, you know, wow. Whew. That, that's pretty cool. I mean, we'd all, you know, I'd probably draw a lot bigger crowd <laughs> if I could pull that off, right? Now, the thing is, that takes no faith. Because you can see it. It's like, wow, 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 wow. Well, as much as we think something like that would be cool, and boy, boy, if, if the pastor could walk out and stuff like that would happen, you know, if every pastor could do that, look at all the people who would come to church and all the people who would get saved whenever they spoke because there would be such power. No, nah, because it doesn't work. It didn't work with these guys. It didn't take because there's no faith there. What takes faith is Pastor Mark comes walking out onto the platform and you don't see anything except him. And you don't hear it. You don't, there's no glorious presence or transforming powers and lightning bolts flying. And then to say, you know, I'm listening with the ear of faith. I'm looking with the eye of faith. And, and all of a sudden, when you do that, you start recognizing God. And God starts speaking to you. I don't know how many times I have preached and somebody will come up to me and say, Man, you, you were talking right to me today. I mean, it's like, like you were listening in on our conversation on the way to church. Or you must, you must have a microphone hanging in our house. Because what you talked about was exactly what we were dealing with. Why? Because they were listening with the ears of faith. And they're hearing God speak to them. And they'll say, boy, you must... No, I wasn't. I don't know what you're doing or what you're not doing. But God is speaking to you. Okay? That's much more powerful. Hearing with faith. That's why Jesus would, said, you know, he that has ears, let him hear. Okay? He who has hears it. Why? Because some people, they, they won't hear anything. They'll sit there and just like, they're not getting anything out of anything. But those who come with a heart of faith, they're hearing God speaking to them and challenging them. Again, this is done now by faith. This isn't with the big dramatic presentations that these guys were experiencing. But as you can see, this didn't do them a lot of good. They wouldn't last very long. Sometimes a matter of weeks, sometimes a matter of days. These guys would suddenly, their hearts would turn away from God. Why? Because you can't get it from the outside in. It starts from the inside and then works out. That's really the lesson that we're learning here as God is doing these incredible things with these people. Okay? So anyway, so this is the prayer times that he has and, and it's pretty impressive stuff. Well then, uh, we read in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If I found favor in your eyes, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So again, still praying for the people. And the Lord said, Well, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. So here he's making this plea because God's going to send them out and he says, don't, don't send us. If you're not going to come with us, at least with your presence. We need your presence. Remember God said, listen, you guys go without me. 
<laughs> That's basically what he said, okay? I've had it with you people. If I go with you, I'm going to kill a whole lot of you because you're such jerks. And Moses in prayer says, you know, send at least your presence with us. Don't leave us by ourselves. We can't do this without you. Great prayers that he would pray. You know, Lord, don't, don't, don't get me out there on my own. And it's wonderful. You know, in the Christian faith now, Jesus has made a promise to all of us who trust in him. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If just two or three of you are gathered together, I'll be right there in the midst of you. He's right here, right now, as we're listening to this, as we've gathered together in faith, the presence of God is here because he promised to be here. If without the presence of God, Christianity doesn't mean anything. It's just another religion. It's just a you know, different kind of country club. It's just a different you know, activities group. And there's a lot of places like that, quite frankly. The people, they, they say they're Christians, they gather together, but the presence of God isn't there. You know, nobody really cares. They're just going through the motions and stuff. You don't really sense God anywhere. Uh, who cares about that? I don't want that stuff. I want God's presence to be with us when we gather together, when we pray and when we listen to his word and he speaks to us and makes himself real to us. Without God's presence, then this doesn't mean anything. We need God. I need God in my life. I don't want to be able to function without him. And uh, so anyway, God was very pleased with his prayer like that. And then Moses says to, to a God, Now, show me your glory. Now, I, <laughs> you know, you got to just kind of figure out and take a best guess as you're reading this, what they're thinking and what they're experiencing. Because it just doesn't say, again, you know, different uh, theologians can come out with their different versions and stuff of this. But uh, show me your glory. What do you think you've been seeing? I mean, God comes down on the top of the mountain. There's lightning. There's flashes. There's thunder. God's voice speaks out. You know, he goes up there. God hands him somehow, hands him these talent tablets with that he said was written with the finger of God. Um, you know, he goes in to pray. This big cloud comes down. Woo, 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 woo. You know, this glory of God around. And now he's saying, show me your glory. What? I don't know what he's thinking because I would think, You've seen a lot of the glory, but yet there's something more that he wanted to see. He wanted, because up to this point, he hasn't really seen God as we would think of seeing God. Again, at times it says that, remember we read last week where um, Moses or, or God appeared to these guys and said, well, we know it wasn't God, God. It had to be an angel or something because, and they often used the two interchangeably because they all died. The Bible says no man can see God and live. But there was a part of Moses, he still, there was still a mystery here. There was something, even though the cloud was there, even though the thunder was there, and the lightning, and, you know, the burning bush, and all this stuff was happening, he, there was still some mystery. He still, you know, he's talked to God like a friend, talks to a friend face to face. There was still mystery. He hadn't really, really seen God in, in, in all his glory. So that's what he wanted. Let me see you. Let me see you in your glory. Well, the Lord says, listen, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see my face and live. Okay, so again, when it talks about these people saw God or what he did. Sometimes this is kind of really, the Old Testament can be real confusing at times. Clearly, they had never really seen God face to face. You can't do it and live. 
I mean, he's so glorious and powerful. So Moses still had seen signs, the noises, all the flashes, the lights, the thunder, all these very cool things, which we would all love to see, right? But he still wanted to actually see God. And he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. But you cannot see my face. If you see my face, you'll die. Okay? Then the Lord said, there is a place uh, near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So here he comes. He sets him on this rock. Apparently God puts his hand over the eyes of Moses and walks past. And he says, and once I've gone past, I'll remove my hand and you can see just my back as I walk away. That was as close as he could let him get so it's still pretty cool what he's still got to experience and god you know putting his hand i mean wow this guy moses what what an experience he was having with god <sighs> but my face must not be seen he says okay verse oh, chapter 34 it says then the lord says to moses chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and i will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke okay remember he, he got so mad he whips them down the bus tells him again, okay here we go again Chisel out some tablets. I'm going to write on these again. Be ready in the morning and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chisels out two stone tablets like the first ones. Goes up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded him. And uh, he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud. Here we go with the cloud and stuff again. And stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Okay. Um, now, now we've talked about this before. I don't want to get off on a real... Well, why not? I rabbit trail all the time. Um, so so he's, he's up here experiencing God again. He's getting ready to get the Ten Commandments and whatever else was written on those stones. I, I assume it had to be more than just Ten Commandments, but it doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, he makes this statement. I am a God who's quick to forgive. I'm full of mercy, understanding, all this stuff. I mean, God, his nature is to forgive you if you mess up. Okay? But you don't repent and you keep doing the wrong things and you keep living in sin and you start rebelling against God. He says, I will punish, uh, uh, I will not let the guilty go unpunished. And he says, and even punish the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Now, the reason I just want to pick on this a little bit is people often take this scripture as uh, a sign of what they call generational curses. You know, well... It's not a generational curse. I don't know that I buy into the whole idea of generational curses. It's certainly not, unless they've got other scriptures to back them up on it. This really doesn't talk about that. It talks about God punishing uh, uh, third and fourth generations. Uh, certainly people that obviously were blatantly sinning against God. Could have been people who didn't know God and stuff. Um, you know, people often say, well, you know, somebody has a problem with alcoholism or a problem with pornography. Or, well, it's just a, a generational curse that we need to break. Well, first of all, this is from God. 
This is God doing. You don't take a born again Christian who's been forgiven by God and filled with the Holy Spirit and then now have to go to God to break a curse from God. It just doesn't make any sense, okay? This multi-generational thing. This, this, these curses do not come from the devil. This thing that he's talking about doesn't come from some cosmic weird unknown force out there. He's talking about God. He says, I will punish the people who will not repent, I'll bring some, I will kick your butt, and even to the third and fourth generations will pay the price. You don't want to live in such a way that you so offend God that you bring this on you. But this isn't generational curses dealing with alcoholism and stuff like that. Now, obviously, there's issues there, but they're always the same basic handful of issues that people seem to deal with. It's basically called sin. There's addictions, there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, I don't think the answer is to go around breaking curses over people. Again, I just, I know a gazillion people talk about, especially in charismatic Christianity. Oh, general, we've got to bring a generational curse, bring a generational curse. Where do you get that from? Well, they'll, they'll follow them until the third, fourth generation. That's God. Okay, you're going to ask God to break a curse over someone he's already forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway. Moses bowed down to the ground at once, once and worshipped. O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. Quite frankly, he's already done that. But anyway, this is a continuing pro- promise. The people you will live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those people uh, who will live in that land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. These are all these satanic things. These countries that he's talking about in the land, the promised land that he's going to give them, were really wicked people. I mean, even historically, you go back, these people were like in the human sacrifices and all, and, and sexual perversion. You can't believe. I mean, just if, if you ever get a chance to listen to some history, history channel kind of thing, talk about some of these nations, they were unbelievably wicked. I know it sounds terrible. It says God told them to go in and destroy them all. But these people were egging it on. These, were, these people were so violent and so disgusting and so vile before God that he, he sent the children of Israel in twofold. One, to kick those people's butts for living in such horrible ways and then to give their land to these people that he had promised the land to, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he warns them, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Don't mess with me, God says. I'm giving you my heart. I'm making these promises. I am jealous. I will watch over you. Do not offend me. Don't be worshiping cows and all this other nonsense and getting caught up in all this stuff. He warns them again, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. Why? Don't get buddies with these guys. You're going in, I want you to kick their butts. Okay? So he's getting them ready for going into the promised land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, and remember, they did horrible things, these people, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. In other words, don't get buddy-buddies with these people. Again, what's the type and the shadow? This is why in the New Testament we read things like, you do not, associate, you do not get very close to people who are not of, of the Christian faith. 
You are not supposed to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why? Because they will pull your hearts away from God. That's why, if you're a Christian girl, you do not date, and certainly do not marry, for God's sakes, a non-Christian boy. And vice versa. If you're a Christian guy, don't be hooking up and dating with some... First of all, hooking up means a different thing nowadays. Don't definitely be hooking up like they think today. But don't be dating and getting all close with some girl who doesn't believe in Jesus. You've got to be smarter than that. This is a fundamental biblical principle that goes all the way back 4,000 plus years ago. Uh, more than 4,000 years ago. To, to uh, when they first came up out of the land of Egypt. God is saying, look, I'm a jealous God. Be smart. Be careful who you associate with. Because if you don't, they will pull you into their world. You say, well, how come we're not pulling them into ours? Well, we should. But when you start getting real close, especially husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, all that kind of stuff, and you start getting close to someone who isn't a believer, they will pull you away from God. You say, no, they won't. No, I'll still believe. No, you're deceiving yourself. You're in a fantasy land. Don't do it. The Bible says don't do it. Make sure. That you don't do it. Anyway, when we come back next Wednesday, we will pick it up from here. And we will continue on and take a look at how these people took their journey with God as God kept reaching out to them, forgiving them, giving them a do-over. Even though sometimes they got punished for their sins, as we just saw, still he would forgive them. And then they would move on and then watch how they responded to the God who loved them so. It's really awfully sad. But God uh, hung in there with them. And uh, we'll pick it up again next week. Amen. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and take the offering. But before we do, um, I'd like to just have you join with me in just a moment of prayer. Uh, right before the service tonight, we had a phone call here. Uh, one of the folk that comes to our church here has a, um, I think it was an, an, a niece who had just been life-flighted to St. Vincent Hospital, a little girl by the name of Gracie who was in serious respiratory failure. Hadn't heard exactly what had taken place, but has been rushed to the hospital. Also, uh, over the weekend, and some of you may have seen this on the news, but uh, the fire chief from the Alloway Fire Department uh, had injured, had fallen off a roof, and not fighting a fire, but I think it was in his own home, and, and uh, fallen and uh, was critically, uh, had, had to have surgery, Pastor Dan on Monday night was at the LOA Fire Department. They had a prayer time there with about 35 of the fire uh, department people that were there, and they just had a time of prayer for him. And uh, and, and I, we had heard that there's been some improvement. Uh, just two, two people. I'm sure there are many other requests here tonight, but could we join together and just pray for these two folks? Just, we believe in prayer at Celebration Church. We believe God hears prayer. We believe God answers prayer. We believe that God comes and when we bring our request before him, that he hears and, and answers prayer. So would you join with me as we just pray for these two needs tonight. Father, we just come to you and we thank you for the fact that you are a God who hears and answers our prayers. And so tonight, Lord, we just bring very simply these two requests to you. We pray for little Gracie right now. We ask, Lord, that in that hospital, that, that room where if she's in intensive care, wherever she is, that you would just go into that room, Lord, that you're, you would touch her. We just pray for your healing power in her life tonight. And then we pray for the fire chief, Lord. I believe his name is Mark. We just lift him up to you right now. Father, we pray that you would touch him and bring healing as well into his body. 
And we just give you praise and glory for that. Lord, I'm sure there are many other requests that are here tonight. Many that are in need and maybe have a need as, as well that they're presenting to you as, as their Heavenly Father. And so we do that, Lord. We just bring it to you, knowing that you hear and answer our prayers. Confidently, boldly. Lord, your word says that we can run to you and bring our needs before you. And so we do that tonight. And we give you praise. And then, Lord, as we prepare tonight to, to, to take the offering, Father, we just pray that you would bless each one as they give and as we continue to just walk in the obedience to your word, as we give of our tithe, as we give of our offering, as we give towards missions, Lord, as we respond in obedience, Lord, even in a time and a season where the economy seems to be, who knows where it's headed. Lord, we know that we put our trust in you because you're our God, you're our Lord. We confidently know that you know the future and we're a, we're, we're a part of that in partnership with you and that, Father. So we thank you for that, Lord. As we give tonight, we give graciously, joyously as we give into the kingdom and into your work. Their lives may be changed. And we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.